We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and today we're talking about something that is very important, especially if you're trying to run a studio or a business, working with other people. Um, This is the idea of communication and setting expectations. One of the things that I get asked a lot is, DK, how do you not get burned or how do you not wear out the artist or whatever? Um, So the idea is making sure that all the communication is taken care of beforehand. What is this kind of mix that they're going for? What is the reference songs that they're wanting you to listen to before you start mixing? Now, there's a lot of different things that we can go about through this, but the big point is making sure that that communication happens beforehand. Uh, Leslie Brathway, when I went to mix with the masters with him, he told us the idea that when he was working with Cardi B... Cardi listened to one of his mixes, and she said it made him feel dizzy. Now, Leslie had no idea what it meant, so he tried a few different things. And one of the things that he tried was turning off, on one of her like ad-libs or something like that, a panning plug-in that panned it left and right. And he turned that off and sent it back as a new mix, and she said, that's perfect. It doesn't make me dizzy anymore. So it's this idea of sometimes our job is to kind of translate what the artist or producer is saying. Sometimes they say, put it back further into the mix. Now, that one's a lot more easier to understand, but it's this idea of what are their expectations? What were they wanting beforehand? If they say, "What I want a Jimi Hendrix-sounding record versus a Drake-sounding record, those are two totally different mix styles, right? And so having that conversation beforehand, as well as understanding what they're saying during the revisions or when they say, I want it to sound more blue, it's, it's the engineer's job to interpret what does that mean. Like for a producer, they might say, a producer and artist might say, no, I want it to sound like it's in a big rock venue. It's a big venue or like at, at a stadium. What does that mean? Is that effects? Is that compression? Is that EQ? How do you translate their emotional response into a technical thing that generates a specific emotional response? So sometimes it doesn't work great. And as some of you may know, we lose clients over this on a regular basis because we either didn't set up that communication beforehand or because we're not very good at communicating while the session is happening or during the time that they agreed to hire us. I had one of my friends reach out to me and say that their client that they've mixed a few songs for all of a sudden didn't like their new mix, like totally just didn't like it. And that's because sometimes when you send out your previous mixes, obviously is good, but sometimes there's a fine line between a producer and a mix engineer. Sometimes the artist does not want the mix engineer to do anything production. Don't cut out the beat. Don't add anything. Don't do anything. And that's only sometimes. Most of the time, it's okay if the mix engineer does just a touch of production or anything creative that's beyond just EQ, compression, saturation, blah, 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 whatever, right? Just beyond the tone, the sonic character. So for this specific friend, the client actually got freaked out when they heard such a different change from the rough mix to the fixed, the, the, the mix, because he also did some production moves. And this is not just one specific friend. This happens to me. This happens to a lot of people around. So that's also part of the communication, making sure 
that you understand what your job is, what the expectation is. This goes into specifically with pricing as well. For example, did you talk about the cost and the price before you started? The worst thing you can do is raise the prices or talk about money after you've already finished everything. That's how you get burned. Like that's how you ruin relationships and get burned. I know most a lot of people in the music industry were non-confrontational, were creatives, were emotional, whatever. And if that's you, this is one way to avoid confrontation is by talking and bringing everything up up front. It also shows your professionality so clients can build trust with you. Now, if you if you come to me and you say, hey, DK, I need a mix done. And I say, okay, here's my steps. This is what I need you to do. This is my policy list. This is what my procedure is. This is how everything works. And this is how it's going to happen. All, this is how my revisions are. This is everything. This is the price, right? Versus the one person that says, the other person that says, hey, um, yeah, I'll mix your stuff down. We can talk about prices later. I've never really done this before. So you could just email me the tracks and, and whatever, right? I'm going to be a lot more trusted in this scenario. Trust goes a long way. Again, as we've talked about in previous episodes, trust is one of the big factors as a mix engineers. It's not just the tone, but do they trust that you put in 100% and that this is a quality tone, a quality sound, right? Unfortunately, I have to say, like for the most part, artists can't tell between a super-duper million-dollar mix versus a $50 mix like they can't really tell like it's it's a matter of trust. Do I trust that you will give me a 1 million dollar mix? And maybe we can do a whole another episode about this about being the right price, right? So if someone does it for free or for really cheap, they might not see the value no matter how good it is just because of the way it's priced. I have a producer that works out of my studio and we talk about that often. But the idea is again making sure all communications are done beforehand as well as understanding what they're going for. Now, this could be a business thing, and as we talked about with the prices and whatnot, but it's also a matter of what are they going for, trying to understand what they do. I have a producer friend of mine. He's a producer, not a mix engineer, although he does mix and does well. One of the things that he does before he works with a new client, always, 100% of the time from what I understand, is that he'll take them out to lunch or to dinner and just talk to them. What are your favorite artists? What do you want your music to sound like? What are your goals with your career? What is the sound that you want to go for? These are all things that the producer friend of mine asks the client before they start working. And that sets them both up for success. It sets him up to make sure that he knows exactly what the client wants and what the client is envisioning. And it lets the client know that the producer cares, that the producer is going to try and it's going to build the trust. So even if it was a cheaper project, they know that the producer is putting in the time and the effort because he is, you know, because the producer is to get to know them that they're going to trust his work a little bit more, right? So that's all like positives there. So it's best to over ask questions, especially if they're hire you. I mean, like if you're an intern, you don't want to be asking any questions or anything like that. But if they're paying for you, it's best to over communicate and try to understand exactly what is going on, everything that's happening, all the revisions and what changes they're being made, what change, like everything, it's best to communicate than to not, right? And lastly, the last thing is, this is something that Leslie taught me that I really agree with and I've, I've held true to this and I do not do anything without this. So you'll notice on my website, if you ever go to my website, it has my phone number, but it says text only. That's because of this concept of 
Sure, I might not do contracts. I might do like some basic agreements or whatever, like a specific discount to a specific person or whatever. But if anything like that happens, I make sure it's written down somewhere at the very least. Now, I probably won't do a contract that they sign or anything like that. But if I give someone a deal or if I give someone an offer or if we talk about something that involves money, I make sure that it talks about the price, the expectations, make everything super clear through an email or through a text message. So at the very least, I have actual proof to them of our agreement because this happens more often than you would like or that you think would happen. You offer someone a deal. It's been a minute. They want to take you up on it four months later because you didn't set an expiration date, which I always require or that I always recommend. Um, and they come back to you and you forgot, you forgot what the deal was. And then they come back and the deal that they said that you offered them seems fishy. It seems off. Now, if you don't have emails that you can search their name or search the agreement or a text that you can go back in conversation, if you don't have anything, you, you lose, you better do what they say. Right. But, um, if you have the texts, if you have the emails, if you have some sort of conversation, uh, saved, whether it's to your Gmail, through your phone, like you have ways of showing them and that would relatively hold up in court. Now I'm not a lawyer and I'm not going to say that that's going to be 100% the best thing, but if it got to that point, that's going to be better than saying that you talked to them on the phone and had a verbal agreement at one point. Right? So the idea is making sure any sort of communication that involves money or that involves a special sort of treatment has been written down somewhere. Texts, emails, whatever it takes. So that's a huge one that has saved me money that has helped me with a lot of hassle. Like I will even say it's like if I make a deal, I will only withhold this if I'm on the phone because sometimes this happens. I'm on the phone with an artist and I make them a deal. Right. And on the deal, I say I say this deal does not work or on the phone. I say this deal does not count unless you email me, email me this deal right now and then I'll give it down for you. And by the way, this deal expires by this time. Right. So if you set expectation dates, put in real expectations, some clauses, maybe like, hey, like this only counts if you do this many, whatever. All that communication must be written down, whether they send it to you, which is always my best recommendation or you send it to them or both, whatever. Right. So just confirming and that will help you stay healthy as a business. It'll help you be trustworthy and have that reputation of being trustworthy. Because to be honest, I know a lot of studios that do this where they you pay hourly, but then you go out to lunch because the engineer says, I'm hungry, I want to eat lunch. And then they charge for the hour they go out to eat lunch. That doesn't make sense to me. That does make that you just lost clients. Like they're not going to be happy. Right now, to be fair, like Everything that you do, it's got to be clear. Like you can do that if in your policies it says we will go out to lunch from 12 to 1 p.m. And if you schedule between 12 to 1 p.m., then I will be charging you for that lunch hour. If that is absolutely clear and it's talked about beforehand, then it's okay. But you can't be changing prices or doing some shady stuff like that on the fly or afterwards. No, like that's how you lose a business. You got to make sure you don't get burned and you got to make sure that they don't feel like they got burned. Even if you didn't intend to burn them, you got to make sure that they never feel that way, which is actually very, very important. So on that note, that's something that I've been thinking about this week and a few people have brought up to me and I've talked about it a few times. So hopefully that helps you. I have been burned so many times in the many years that I've been doing this. And so I hope that I can answer your questions. You can ask me any questions through Instagram at D-E-E-K-E-I mixes, D-K mixes. You can, as always, 
always send me some music for mix feedback at dkmixes at gmail.com. I'm usually not super duper fast about getting those feedbacks back, but because um, I'm doing them as a service for free. So please do not expect to get those back within a day or two, but I try to get back to them as fast as I can, usually within a week, uh, at least within a week or two. Thanks for being patient with me there. And as always, I have a YouTube channel, free online courses, free PDFs. You can find them from links.dkmixes.com. And I have online courses right now. I have a vocal mixing course and a mixing a two-track for your hip-hop music course. This is actually a very important one that has been requested a lot. So please go to links.dkmixes.com if you're interested in that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Happy mixing and stay saucy, my friends. One, two, three. If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's links.dekeimixes.com. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show.